Uh, the Bible reading today will be from Philippians two chapter uh, Philippians chapter two five to eleven. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, do not did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lachlan, and I'm the youth pastor here at NBC, which means I'm usually the guy heading up what is happening here at our youth service. Unfortunately, I'm currently stuck in my apartment because I tested positive for COVID, which is not exactly ideal when you're only a week out from your own wedding. But while COVID has certainly stopped a lot of things over the past few years, it is not going to get in the way of us learning from God's Word tonight. So while me being on video screen is nowhere near as engaging as me being there in person, let's have our Bibles open. Bibles open. Minds alert, ready to learn some amazing things from God's Word tonight. And on that note, let me pray. Lord Jesus, help us learn something new and true about you tonight. Amen. Now, our passage tonight actually comes from the book of Philippians, which was written by the Apostle Paul. And this section that we read tonight is often called the Christological Hymn, which is a beautiful bit of poetry that we suspect may have been even sung in the early church. Now, I did take music in high school, so I know a thing or two about songs. However, my approach to music was always a bit different than others. In fact, I was given a nickname by the other members of the school band. Sibelius. You see, Sibelius was a piece of software that we used to notate music, and it had the ability to play back what you had just written. And people used to claim that I played music just like Sibelius, which is that it was technically perfect, but had no emotion in it whatsoever. So what does someone with my musical experience and personality do when it comes to a beautiful song like Philippians 2? That's pretty simple. I ruin it with maths and I graph it. As we read our passage, we can see that there is a series of events in time. Now, whenever time is in a science experiment, it is usually the independent variable. Now, the independent variable sits along the x-axis or this horizontal line for the non-scientific among us. This is the variable that will change as the variable that we actually change changes. I know it's quite confusing, but for now, just trust me. So, this is time. And spoiler alert, it is not going to be to scale. Next, the final verse that we read of our passage says that everything is done to the glory of God the Father. So obviously glory is pretty important. In fact, I'm going to say that it is our dependent variable, the one that sits here on the y-axis, or the vertical line. So this one, as we change this one, this one changes as well. 
Now, verse 6. Oh, wait, sorry. I need to label it. Glory. And I have no idea what units to put that in. I don't know how you measure glory, so we're not going to put that in there. Now, verse 6 says that Jesus had equality with God, which to me would suggest that he has the highest possible glory. So therefore, fun little infinity sign, there's Jesus. He has equality with God. Verse 7 then says he emptied himself and took on the form of a man, which obviously deserves much, much less glory than where we are here. So let's go about there-ish. Verse 8 then says he humbled himself to death. What do you reckon? Like, death is about there? However, more than a normal death, he actually humbled himself to a criminal's death on a cross, which is even less glory than a normal death. He then spends some time dead, and like we said, this is not to scale. Finally, Verse 9 says that because of his obedience, God exalted him, which we generally agree happened at his resurrection. Therefore, God gave him the name above all other names, which I think means we are back up to maximum glory. And he retains this maximum glory for the rest of eternity, because at some point, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you graph a Bible passage. But the question is, what can we learn from this graph? Well, from this, we can learn about his pre-existence, Jesus' pre-existence. From this, we can learn about his incarnation. From here, Jesus' death. And from this section, his glorification. So let's explore all of those tonight. Now, in case you missed it, yes, this was my year 12 jersey. Inabara, class of 2011, Sibelius. All the Christians in our class got this little symbol at the end of our jersey. Quite nice. But anyway, moving on. We're going to look now at those four topics we found that our graph points to. And the first one is pre-existence. And so let's reread verse 6 where we find this. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, nature here means possessing all of the characteristics and qualities of something. Therefore, to have the nature of God is equivalent to having equality with God. Jesus has always been totally equal with God the Father. Whether that be in glory, like our graph shows, whether that be in power or knowledge, Jesus and God are equal. Therefore, it is totally right and fair to say that Jesus is the God of the universe, pre-existing before anything else in all of creation. That means that nothing that was made was not made by him. I think I just used a double negative. Let me try that again. Everything that was created... Everything that had a moment where it did not exist was created by Jesus, who existed before anything else. Youth, we have been exploring the first half of the Gospel of Matthew in depth in Term 1, and we're going to do the second half in Term 2. 
And every story we teach, every moment we read about, that is a story or moment about Jesus, the God of the universe, who existed well before the universe. Now, I've just noticed that these glasses really reflect my computer screen. And so while this is going to make reading my notes slightly harder, I'm going to take them off to eliminate distractions for you guys. We're going to move on to now to verse 7, incarnation. Let me reread that verse for us as well. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You see, Jesus, the God of the universe, made himself nothing. The original Greek word here means emptying himself. I didn't plan this illustration, but I got a garbage bin right here. Jesus emptied himself of things, okay? But what did he empty himself of? Was it the power of God? Was it the character of God? Was it the knowledge of God? Now, it seems to me that the primary emptying here is positional. Jesus empties himself of all the privileges of being equal with God and gives them up for a greater purpose. This is what we call incarnation, which Google reliably informs me can be defined as being the living embodiment of something. So when I say that my sister is annoyance incarnate, it means that she is the full and total embodiment of annoyingness. Similarly, when we talk about the incarnation as Christians, we mean that Jesus, who was in all appearances a man, was the full and total embodiment of God, now made human. In fact, he now experiences something that he never had to experience. For most of us, things like pain and death and humiliation are certainties in life. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you will probably experience all of those things. But for the pre-existent creator of the universe, he never had to experience these things. However, he chose to let go of his privileges, to become a servant, and to one day experience those very things. And that moves us on to verse 8. Death. Let me read it. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The pre-existing creator not only became incarnate into his creation, he then died. It's like the creator of Fortnite loading into a game, disabling the overshield, taking away the overpowered weapon, disabling the aim assist, assist that he has by virtue of being the creator, and then letting someone kill him. It just shouldn't happen. And yes, I'm very proud that I managed to fit a Fortnite reference into my sermon. However, Jesus' death was even worse than just a normal death. It was a death on a cross. Now, Philippi was a Roman city, so many of the Philippians were probably Romans, and they would have hated the thought of someone dying on a cross. The Roman historian Cicero wrote that it was the most cruel and hideous form of punishment, and far be the very name of a cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, and the ears of a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen could not be killed by crucifixion. That wasn't allowed. And in fact, most Romans didn't even like the thought of it. We also know that there was a Jewish synagogue in Philippi, and they too would have hated the thought of the cross. Deuteronomy 21.23 says that anyone left to hung on a tree is cursed. Thus, no Jew was ever allowed to die in such a manner. 
It's funny how the cross was a stumbling block to both Romans and Jews, yet for Paul and Christianity, it became the very centre of all of their beliefs. Now, we put up crosses everywhere now to honour Jesus and the way he died, but this was not always the way it was. Now we're going to read verses 9 to 11 on the topic of glorification. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to pause for just a second. I need to do some coughs off camera and then we'll be right back. Sorry about that. I'm trying to do this all in one take, otherwise I know that I'd be here all day trying to make it perfect. Now, where we're up to is glorification. If you were just up to this bit of the story, you would have thought that Jesus was a massive flop. But the glorification of Jesus is the vindication of him. So while everyone else thought he was a flop, his resurrection, ascension and exaltation shows otherwise. Now, Jesus is exalted back up to that infinite glory point by, by being given the name above all other names. That is the name Yahweh. Now, while Christ now bears the divine name Yahweh, he still worshipped with his human name, Jesus, since it was with that name that he most clearly displayed his divine glory to the world. We celebrate this most clearly on Easter Sunday, when we gather together as a church and celebrate Jesus' resurrection. He rose from the dead, spent time with his disciples, and then ascended up into heaven, where he now waits for the end of days, where every single creature will acknowledge that he is God, whether they want to or not. Now, that was a lot of heavy theology, for it was basically a song, which I think shows us that the songs we sing are important, because we learn a lot of our theology from them. But let's quickly return to verse 5, where all of this started. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. We are reminded that Jesus, the gospel, and even this Bible passage is more than a set of facts. It is also a model of humility that we who claim to be followers of Christ must follow. But what is humility? Based on the actions that we see in this passage, humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, resources, or influences for the good of others. Let me say that one more time. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, resources, or influence for the good of others. That is what we see in Jesus in this passage. Now, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and an author named Kelly Kaptik was being interviewed. Here is what she had to say on the topic of humility. When we encourage people to be humble, Normally, the answer is that we should be humble because we are a sinner. And that means the way you become more humble is thinking more and more about your sin, which makes you feel worse and worse about yourself. But when you think about it biblically and theologically, the foundation for being humble is not that you are a sinner, it is that you are a creature. And by definition, as a creature, you are dependent upon God, you are dependent upon other people, and you are dependent on the earth. That is just the good of how we were made. You see, true Christian humility starts with a recognition of our creaturely dependence upon God. And when Jesus humbled himself, he, really for the first time in his history, 
became totally dependent on God, and we should follow that example. Kelly Captic's thoughts also include this idea of togetherness. You see, humility is realising that you need a community. You are dependent upon other people. And now everyone in the congregation should be having flashbacks of the last seven weeks because humility expresses itself in community and community is us being together. So let me leave you with four practical ways to practice the humility of Jesus in your week. One, thank God often and always. Two, spend time listening to others. Three, ask questions. And four, consider others before yourself. Let's run through these four really quickly. Number one, thank God often and always. We are creatures who rely on God for everything. We need to recognize that. And it is on God that Jesus relied on for his entire earthly ministry. We follow that example and we thank him for what he provides. Gratefulness is an important first step of humility. Enjoying God by Tim Chester is a book that we're reading as a staff team at the moment. I would show you a copy of it, except it's on my desk at church, and I'm stuck in my apartment. However, one of the first chapters encouraged us to go through our day and thank God for every element of it. And I encourage you to try the same this week. Number two, spend time listening to others. Listening to others shows that we value what they have to say and that we don't have all the answers. And when I say listen, I mean really, really listen. Take in what they say, remember it. I remember when I first started at uni and joined the Christian group there. I went to their big launch day and there was over a thousand students there. Somehow I found myself talking to the president of the Christian group, who had seen a lonely first year and gone out of his way to meet me and listen to me. Then a few weeks later, I ran into him at another event and he remembered my name. That alone made me feel loved and known in that community. And it showed great humility because he listened and remembered what I had to say. Number three, ask questions. This is similar to the other point. Asking questions shows that we don't have all the answers and want to discover more. In fact, this was the very reason Jesus taught in parables. As all of the youth learned about on Friday, Jesus taught in parables so that the wise and the educated would have to humble themselves and come to him to inquire further and discover the truth. Number four, Consider others before yourself. Where can you put others first this coming week? Almost every problem in our world could be solved if we considered others first. If we considered the impact of our actions on others, whether that be locally or globally, this would be such a better world. Now, we heard about Catalyst last week. That's a big way we can make a choice to put others first. But we can also do it in our day-to-day lives. Now, I know this isn't easy. We are selfish right down to our genes, but I challenge you to take a moment and think of a way you could put someone else first this week. Seriously, I'm giving you thinking time. Alright, let's wrap all of this up. I love this passage of scripture. I wish I could have been there in real life to teach it. To see you grasp the beauty of the poetry, the depth of the theology, and the importance of the call to humility. Let me pray that all of that was achieved, despite me being on the other end of the screen. 
Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, for its beauty and depth. I thank you that we got to come before it tonight and feed off it. And I pray that we take its message of humility into our weeks. Give us an opportunity this week to show the humility of Christ. Amen.